We've been in 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 14 this morning. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We've been in this series called Death to Life, and I just want to remind you that this is a very strategic point in our church because we, we know that it's, these things are very easy to say yes in practice or in theory, but they're harder in, in practice. We know as Christians we've been taught, hey, you're supposed to love everybody until that person that walks up next to you, you have nothing in common with, or they have a punchable face, and you just want to just not like them. Look to your neighbor and say, I know exactly what he's talking about, and I'm not going to act like I do uh, because I'm a Christian, that kind of thing. But some people you just get around uh, and you go, I don't, I don't know if I like you or not. And the good thing though, that we have learned through this series that the agape love of Christ isn't something that's based upon feelings, it's based upon choice. And we have the opportunity through the, the, the finished work of Jesus. Look to your neighbor and say the finished work of Jesus. It's finished. We just have to agree with it. The finished work of Jesus that allows us to love everybody. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, the famous evangelist, noted that the New Testament rec records, records tell of 40 people each suffering from the same disease who were healed by Jesus. Of this number, 34 were either brought to Jesus by friends or he was taken to them. In only six cases out of the 40 did the sufferers find their way to Jesus without assistance. Of the vast number of people who find their way to Jesus today, most of them reach him because the friends of Jesus are concerned about the welfare of their souls. What an incredible thing it is that we have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we're going to know it's happening in our church and in our body when we love each other is when we're going to be knowing that we're going to be crossing over from death to life. Our mission, the thing that God's placed on my heart, our ministry, our mantle, can be summed up in a phrase that we are to love God, we are to love people, and we are to go all in together. That's the mandate of the church. That it's our hope that we can be the kind of body that God will entrust the most greatest resource in the history of mankind. It's not building facilities. It's not money. It's not prestige. It's not popularity. It's not being on TBN. It's not being a, a, a pastoral famous. The greatest resource that God can ever give a body of believers is what? Is people. Do you know that's the one thing that you can only take to heaven? You ain't going to take your house. You ain't going to take your 401k. You're not going to take... You're not going to take your, your, your popularity at your job. The only thing that you get to take to heaven is what? People. And so don't you think that we should fight for people? Don't you think that we should love God, love people, and go all in together? Because perhaps the greatest miracle that will happen in the last days is a church that will actually love each other. The goal of our series this last month was to confront and correct the seemingly runaway train that has broken relationships in our American culture. You guys have heard phrases like church hurt or church offense or the church hasn't been leading the way, but it needs to lead the way by example for what it means to be in healthy, godly relationships. So we've learned over the last month, the word of God is full of the ways of God. And let me explain. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to notice the progression. Before you get to the life, before you get to the truth, what do you know? I ha you have to know him as the way. 
The way to the truth in life found in Jesus is understanding that actually surrendering your life to Jesus is surrendering your life to the way that he wants you to live. Not my will, but yours be done. Many people want to know Jesus just as Savior, but not as Lord. And you live a defeated life because why? You're still trying to live in your own way, not his way. We've learned about precepts. Precepts are a command or principle intended especially as a general rule of action. Isaiah 28 and 10 reads this. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. In other words, you do not get to pick and choose what kingdom principle to follow and which not to follow. We talked about last week that when it comes to tithing, tithing is really an entry level of understanding the way of God in our lives. And I'm, I'm actually excited that you guys are still here the following Sunday after I preached on money. So give yourself a round of applause, stewarding God's way. Like, I thought for sure the parking lot would be empty. You guys would get, you know, darts and throw them at my, at my, at my face in your guys' house. But the reason why I felt like I needed to interject money into the conversation is not, is not because I just want to just, you know, harp on tithing so the church can get more money. I want you to know that emotion that you felt as a pastor taught you out of the word about the proper precepts of God, that if you can't conquer your wallet, the Bible says in Matthew, Jesus says, if you can't conquer the little things like tithing, you are never going to get to the place of understanding justice and love. Many people want to know about church hurt and how to fix church hurt, but you, if, you can't, if you can't fix the baseline, the simple things of your faith, of your walk with the Lord, how are you going to get to the deeper things? And what my heart is, is not to have a church where we just pick and choose the ways that we want to follow that are convenient to us. Like, for example, when I was a young person, I would come to the altar and the Lord was really convicting me about the music I was listening to. And I was like, Lord, you can have country music. I don't want it. Some of you love country music, and that would be hard, right? Like, but man, if he ever touched my All for One or Boys the Men or Mariah Carey, that'll tell you a little bit about where I was raised. Tupac, you know, Notorious B.I.G. You guys know nothing about those things, do you? I mean, you guys are raised on Gaither, and you guys are Christians, and it's, it's all good. But when God started to convict me about those things, it was like, Lord, take my country music. I turned into Abraham, you know, like... You know, God was like, give me your son. And he was like, who, Ishmael? You know, no. Could you imagine doing that to one of your kids? That's what we do in church, though. It's like, it's like uh, you know, God asks for something and we offer something in return. Could you imagine being Ishmael when, like, you know, no, God was like, no, not that son, the one that you love. G give me Isaac. And we do that when it comes to precepts, don't we, or the ways of God. We say, God, you can have this, but you can't have that. You can, you can move in this way, God, but you can't move in that way. And the truth is, is you will never get to experience the, the fullness of life in Christ by picking and choosing the things that you want over the things that God wants. So, you, you know, so listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you must make the precepts of God found in his word first place in your life. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, talks about a kind of precept. That, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Brian came in this, this morning and he didn't even know he was going to illustrate the sermon today. But listen to me, our church, if anyone ever comes from the gospel rescue mission, they should feel the most comfortable in this church, not judged. Judging for me is telling someone that where they're at is where they're always going to be. You judge the end from the beginning. We don't judge as Christians. We say, hey, we survey God of not of just a second chance, but of the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance and the sixth chance. Come on, somebody. If you believe that, give the Lord a big round of applause. But the truth is, is we have all experienced how this is way easier in theory than it is in practice. Isn't it amazing? This is just a, an observation from your pastor that almost every time someone walks through the door of love and walks in the path, walks in the path of generosity, it happens. So let me explain. And if, if you're new to the faith, or maybe it's been a long time since you've reset yourself on this, the Bible says, take heed when you stand, lest you fall. Or the moments when you start standing, as Christians, right, we don't lean, we stand. We don't lean to the left or right politically, we stand on the word of God. Whatever the word of God says, we stand on that. So as Christians, when we stand on the word of God, the Bible says, take heed when you stand, lest you fall, that the times when you are the most vulnerable are the times when you start standing off of the precepts that you have lived your life by, and now you're standing on God's precepts, because it's in those times when you're the most vulnerable. And let me tell you why this is. It's because the moment that you start leaning on off of your own faith and understanding on his the enemy wants to take those, those seeds that are planted in the soil while they're not rooted, and he wants to mess them up because he knows if those seeds ever get rooted, what's going to happen in your life is something that he can't stop. You guys tracking with me today? And so you have to know that, that when you, so it happens. I have seen this a thousand times in the church when, when someone's come up to me and said, Pastor, the Lord's really convicted me about a precept or a way that I'm supposed to start tithing. And isn't it amazing? One of two things happen. Uh, the person starts tithing and a blessing starts coming their way and they're sold for life like it's right. I need to give in, in generosity. Or the second thing begins to happen. They, they give in generosity doing what the precept says and then they get offended. So it happens almost, almost unequivocally. I will tell you the times when you are at the most of being offended are the times when you are vulnerable in love. And so you have to watch out for that. You have to know that, that you have an enemy. Look to your neighbor and say, I have an enemy. You're not my enemy, but I have an enemy. And so in the church, we recognize that people aren't our enemy. Ephesians says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. Your pastor's not your enemy. The worship team's not the enemy. The, the, the leadership in the church isn't your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. People are not our problems. The problems are the problems. And so we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against these, these things that have been bound in our hearts, these perceptions, these, these, these mind thoughts, these, 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 our own precepts that aren't based upon the word of God that says, man, the moment I become vulnerable, the moment that I start to love, people should notice the, the, the effect that I'm actually doing or the energy that I'm putting out. And the truth is, if you want to get offended really quickly, start loving people and being generous. Because the moment that you start loving people and being generous, you will be used. How many times have we prayed as, as a Christian, Lord, use me. 
you know, as a youth pastor for a number of years, I would have, you know, kids, you know, especially the, the young ladies come up and say, I feel so used, like this boy used me or I felt used and abused. And then that same thing, we would go down to the altar and we would say, Lord, use me. So then when he uses you and he answers the prayer of your life and someone takes advantage of you, this word already gives you precepts or ways to make sure that your motive was right in the first place. So and this is what we're going to talk about today. Look to your neighbor and say, pastor's going to help me today. Pastor's going to help me today. Love and generosity combined, listen to this, not only change the world around us, but in the end they change us. I remember one of the first times I felt prompted to give to somebody that was struggling financially and I paid the, their three daughters ways to go to summer camp and it was like $600 and for a, a first time you know, youth pastor that was making $2,500 a month, $600 was a lot of money. And I remember, you know, going and telling them and there was tears in their eyes and, you know, pastor, we didn't have the money and they weren't going to be able to go. And so I sewed the 600 bucks and they had an incredible week. And then the next week on Facebook, they were in Disneyland. How dare them? <laughs> Loving and being generous with people doesn't just change the world, it changes me. As they're eating churros that I paid for. You want to get offended? Be, walk in love and be generous. And so you have to know, there is, a, there is a way that God will have you walk that in the end will mess with your flesh. And your flesh has to die. And so when we give, if we are truly giving with God's heart, we don't give to receive. We don't give to get something in return. We don't give to get a good feeling. We don't give to make ourselves feel good. The Bible says in Corinthians, it's possible for us to give ourselves to be burned at the stake and still not have love. So when we give, we give. Our hand is open. Our heart is open. There's, there's, no, there's, there's no asking for something in return. Like, Lord, our life is not our own. And because you gave to us unconditionally, we as believers are now going to un unconditionally give to those around us. But maturity is found in the disciples, in the disciplines of remaining in love rather than retreating to selfishness. So I want to encourage you, if you're new to the faith and maybe you haven't started giving or maybe you haven't been walking in generosity and love, just know it's going to happen. The Bible doesn't say if you get offended. The Bible says when you get offended. Look to your neighbor, right to the left or right of you, and say, you're going to offend me, aren't you? <laughs> it's it's going to be you, isn't it? And here's what I will say. There's nothing that hurts a pastor's heart like, like when someone comes to you and says, the way that you're doing something or the way that you're leading the church offended me and I'm going to leave. Most people don't do that. Most people don't follow scripture. They just walk out and you never see them again. If you are a true believer, you're not to do that. But I will tell you that there are times, you ready for this one, you ready, for, ready to gasp? That even his pastor is going to offend you. <gasps> and I've been here long enough to say that I will probably, not probably, the Lord's even correcting me right now. I will offend you. I won't even know I'm doing it. I, I, I will try not to do it. When I go around and try to shake everyone's hands before service, if I cross over you, it's it's probably because I have a lot on my mind, a lot on my mind. But I want you to know that there are there are ways the Bible says to how you deal with offense, and the answer 
is not to run from relationships when there's battles or, or, or offense. The Bible says you're actually supposed to run to them. E.C. McKenzie says this, some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. It is actually easier to make enemies than it is friends. Enemies you don't have to talk to. Enemies you don't have to actually like go over disagreements. And then you get some friends that are very feelings-based. And they'll, just, they'll say things like, I just, I just don't, I don't. It's not even really what you said. It's just how you made me feel. And they say I a lot. And they say feelings a lot. And when you're in that moment, if you don't have the maturity, this is, I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. If you... If you don't have the maturity, you, you want to try to correct rather than listen. No one, no one else does that in this room. <laughs> like, I'm a fixer by nature. You know, I want to, like, fix someone's problem. And some people don't want to be fixed. They just want to be heard. And, and if it's our job in that moment, in that conversation, just to listen and to love, then we're okay with that because we plant and we water, and it's God that brings the increase. And so you have to understand your role. I've got to understand my role. What, what makes Christian leadership, if you ever want to get to Christian leadership difficult, is you might have to deal with 10 or 12 people in your circle. I get the privilege to deal with 500 in my circle. And so I have an opportunity to walk in a lot of maturity. That's what the Lord's given me opportunity to. And it's not something that I take lightly, but I want you to know that E.C. McKenzie is right. It's a lot easier for us not to be the real thing and actually have enemies rather than friends. But here's what the Bible says. The word says, you will know that you are walking from death to life when you find yourself at a place to where you learn how to love rather than run. To love. To love. Some of the greatest conversations that I've had this first 15 months that I've been here is mature believers coming to me and saying, Pastor, I want you to know that you're doing an incredible job. I see your heart. I sense your grace. I know that you love people and you love the community. But why don't you consider this rather than that? They don't come to me lobbing a, a, a rock. They don't come to me lobbing a stone. They're there that I know that they want me to win. They want the church to win. They're willing to have the hard conversation. Isn't it amazing? The Bible says it's a righteous man who loves correction. You want to know how righteous you are? Wait till someone disagrees with what you're doing and comes to correct you. And if you can't handle that in the body of Christ, may I just lightly suggest that you're not walking in the ways of God? That if you're not willing to be corrected and being, being, being taught, then there's some, there's some work that we have to do. Let me give you just three of the most common precepts or ways surrounding relationships that are all over the Bible, but I'm just going to point out three of them this morning. And I want you to know there's more. There's more when it comes to relationships with your spouse, relationships with your children, relationships with your bosses, but I'm going to give you three on how you're going to have to, have to model this. One is this. As Christians, it is our job to confront with grace and truth. Every one of us has a bent. I don't know if you know this. Who are my truth tellers in the room? They'll just love to tell people the truth. I'm, 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 that's who I normally am. I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to tell that person what I'm going to die. Truth tellers. Who are my grace people in the room? That you'll never confront anybody. 
The Bible says that you're not right if you're only grace and you're not right if you're only truth. John 1.14, speaking of Jesus, says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as, as of the only Son from the Father. Listen to what it described Jesus as, full of grace and truth. That I always tell people that I personally disciple that if, if God comes to you through His Holy Spirit and convicts you that if you are a truth teller, He's going to sprinkle grace on you. And if you are a grace teller, a grace speaker, that someone could be heading towards disaster, and you're, this is the kind of excuses that you say in your mind, well, I'm just going to love them through it all. No, tell them that they're about to run off a cliff. Like sometimes that's the right thing to do. And so if you are the grace teller, God's going to give you the courage to speak the truth in love. And so you have to know that if you want to be a believer, the way is is to confront grace and truth. Jesus modeled what it meant to love people correctly, and it will take a person being full of the Holy Spirit with a fullness of grace and truth. Pointedly, this is what Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says on how we're to deal in relationships as believers. You've read this a thousand times. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Do you know why a lot of us don't do this? It's because we don't want our faults pointed out. So you eat your Cheetos and I'll eat my Doritos and everything's going to be fine and dandy. You guys tracking with me? Just between, listen to me, just, here's what it says, just between the two of you. This doesn't mean that when you see your brother or sister sinning that you go talk to their family member or your spouse. It doesn't say that you go talk to your coworker about it. What does it say? Go to the person. To walk in maturity, to say that if I truly love the person that is next to me, it is not my job to talk to everybody else but them. It's my job to go talk to them. In the church, if you're not careful, you'll make the prayer chain the gossip chain. Did you hear about? Did you hear about? So you have to understand that it is maturity to know that in the body of Christ, that if you see your brother and sister sin with grace and truth, go to them and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, here's what it says, you have won them over. You've won a real friend. But if they will not listen, here's what it says, then take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So we have the playbook. That if that person's not going to be able to listen, it's not my job just to say, well, I did my best. No, the Bible says that there's another step that you can take, which is to get people that love them around them. Intervention is not, is not a, is not a um, secular idea. In the body of Christ, being held accountable, and I know this, this word has a buzzword because I think it can be weaponized. It can, it can almost be to where you can use it as manipulation. But you got to be careful that, that you walk in love with proper motives so that the Bible says that it can be established in two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Could you imagine being a part of a church like that? Well, so-and-so, we've, we've went to them privately. We went to them in a group of people and of friends, and they're st still doing it. So on church on Sunday, we're going to have a list of people and their faults that we've confronted, and we're going to start in alphabetical order. So if your name is Andy, we're in trouble. 
And, and then by the time you get to the J's, I'll be slipped out the back and then, you know, it'll all be good. So the Bible has these things like this. It says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Think about practicing that in the church. Think about practicing actually what the Word of God says. And then it says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Why? Because there's actually one thing more important than being someone's friend. It's being the, the reason why they pick heaven over hell. It's an incredible thing. Here's what Proverbs 25, 9 and 10 says. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose a secret to another, lest he who hears it exposes your shame and your reputation be ruined. This precept teaches us the following. Go directly to your brother or sister first. Second, don't flap your jaws. Look to your neighbor and say, don't flap your jaws. <laughs> the third thing is if someone flaps their jaws, expose them and correct them. Hey, you shouldn't be talking about that. Do you know why people don't come gossip to me about stuff? It's because I tell them, I don't, I don't. Pastor, you probably need to know this. No, I don't. If that person needs to know, then, then it, and if you want to tell me about that person, you go grab that person, and then we'll go have coffee. And I'll even pay for the coffee. But, but we do it right. So you have to ask yourself, if you're the person that allows gossip, maybe you have to have a posture change. Hmm. The next step, find another mature believer to go with you and talk to them. If that doesn't work, take it to the church leadership. In the end, if those things don't work, you have to treat them as an unbeliever, meaning that we're going to pray and believe that God is going to restore prodigals to come home. We don't walk in judgment. We don't have any enemies. We have mission fields. When the Bible says treat them as a lost person, it means that we have to start from step one again, believing that God would bring them to repentance. Let me repeat to you what E.C. McKenzie said. Some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. Let me give you the second thing that I, I, I want to just download to you today. As Christian believers, we don't just confront in grace and truth. We need to learn what it means to step first in love. You don't have to wait to get around right people to be right. You can start now. So if, if you're waiting, well, if that person would only talk to me, then I would forgive. That's not Christian agape love. Christian love is, is that we step first. When people come to me as a pastor, and I get this a lot, and I get a lot of practice of this, so I don't expect you to do this, but I get a lot of practice of this. If my response is, how dare they, my heart posture is wrong. But if I will, in myself, walk in humility and say, there's a lot that I still need to learn, and this might be one of them, and thank you for pointing this out. And you know, sometimes I say that, and in the moment, I might not, not actually agree with the rebuke. But that doesn't mean that they're wrong. It means that I begin to walk this out in my prayer closet. Lord, if there's anything that's hidden in my life, if there's anything wrong that I need you to begin to be right, for, for you to be right in my life, God, I want to die to my flesh and I want to be led by the Spirit. God, would you help me? Here's what Galatians 6 and 10 says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. P.L. Tan wrote this. If you really want to know who your real friends are, just make a mistake. <laughs> and you know that I want to be part of a body that allows mistakes to happen and allows corrections to take place.
Because you know none of us are going to bat a thousand. None of us are going to walk this thing out and never not make a mistake. But to know that if you really want to know who your friends are, just make a mistake. I would add this. If you really want to know what kind of friend you are, inspect what happens to you when your friends make a mistake. The greatest love that I can try to teach you as a pastor is when chaos and turmoil enter the church to train yourself not to run from it, to train yourself to run to it. There's many examples of when people have had moral failings or they've done things that have been horribly wrong. They've stole money. They've done incredible... You you enter in whatever the horrible thing is. And as Christians, what we do is we run from people when when they need us the most when really we should be trained to run to them. That doesn't mean that we agree with what they did. It doesn't mean that we're co-signing for their actions. It doesn't mean that what we're saying as a church is we're going to cover it over. No, what it means is, is that we are going to live with people in the highs of their life and in the lows of their life. And really the greatest opportunity to have friends in this world is when you're down. If you look up, those, the people that are there to help you get up, those are your ride or dies. People, people that point at you when you're down and not help you up, those aren't your real friends. But the people that will run to you. So the questions, do you gloss over your friend's mistakes and never confront? When you confront, have you prayed for them? Do you audit yourself to make sure that you are walking in grace and truth? Here's what Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That we would have friends in our life that would wound us to a place of restoration, that they would tell us the truth even when it hurts. In the end, healthy relationships starts with individuals taking personal responsibility to follow God's way. And this is how much God cares about us loving each other in a healthy manner. Here's what Titus 3 and 10 says. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Proverbs 6 and 16 through 19 says this. Six things that the Lord hates, seven are are an abomination to him. And he lists us six things. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies. Those are the six things the Lord hates. Do you know what the seventh is? One who sows discord among the brethren. We have a responsibility as believers that it's not okay just to be with your girlfriends or be with your friends or be after church. It's not okay to speak words of discord. It's your opportunity to speak words of life. If we are to ever see what God sees for us, we must see and treat each other how God sees us. What an incredible thing. Here's the third thing. First, you need to learn how to operate in grace and truth. Second is you need to learn how to step first. And third is this. You must learn to love correction. Psalm 141.5 says, Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It shall be an excellent oil and let my head not refuse it. 
What a beautiful understanding of what our job is is when we come to church or we're, we're around brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to hear me. Conviction is your friend. Condemnation's not your friend. Feeling less than is not your friend. But true godly conviction is your friend. And if you will allow the peace of God to rule in your heart, and when his conviction comes to you, whether it through a pastor's message or during worship or your personal prayer devotion, I, as your pastor, want you to learn how to lean into the conviction of God because when God convicts you, it's actually his sign that he loves you because whom he disciplines, what? He loves. Here's what Proverbs 12 and 1 says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. I love this translation. But whoever hates correction is stupid. What an incredible thing. There are things that you can learn and there are things that you must choose. And this pastor believes that uh, learning to be teachable is really a choice and a posture of a humble heart. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 12 says as Leanna comes back to the keyboard and we get ready to dismiss today. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us is nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance which leads to salvation and that's not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner and what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things that you prove yourself to be clear in this matter, therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor the sake of him who suffered wrong. But listen to this. But that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Or get around people that will point things out, because in the end, it will actually be proof that God loves you. When people who love Jesus confront you, it should be a sign to you of their care for you. Don't get defensive or put up your guard. Just know that you're loved. Here's what Proverbs 15 and 23 says. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good it is. Had a gentleman this last week my wife and I had a part in their story of coming to Jesus. We, um, if you want to know about my wife and I, find us at a, a furniture shop trying to pick a couch. And you'll have a pretty good idea of, of, the, of the relational dynamics that are there. And we were sitting there just, you know, discussing. We were discussing what couch we were going to buy. And the owners of this shop who had become very dear friends of ours. Um, they weren't living right before Jesus, had never really been to church. Um, they began to see how we were discussing, but they saw a love that they did not know of. And watching that family walk into church, give their hearts to Jesus, go through a season of actually counting the cost, because you know there's a, there's a cost. When you feel the love of Jesus for the first time or his peace or his joy, it's like, I want that. 
And then when that love or peace or joy says, hey, you better give up that thing if you want this to remain, there's a cost you got to count. And so they walk through this season and they've been out of church for a couple years, two or three years or four years. Maybe it's been a long time. I don't even remember. But my wife and I just got news of his passing this last week. And you know that, that feeling when someone close to you or that, that has been close to you passes and you start asking yourself the questions like, did I do everything I could have? Did I, did I confront the way that I needed to confront? Did I walk in grace the way that I needed to walk in grace to? Did I, did I just ignore the issue? Did I just run away? Did I actually do what God's asked me to do in this manner? Did I, did I see the things and the signs and not, not be Christ-like? And com- you guys tracking with me today? Oh, to have a church and to be part of a church that would rather err in love in confronting with grace and truth than being silent and complicit in someone walking away from Jesus. Oh, to be a body where people know that when they would come from the outside in, that they would see a congregation that they know is walking from death to life because there is a genuine love for each other. Would you guys stand to your feet this morning? And I just feel like i got to ask somebody in this room. I may not know your story. I may not know personally what you're going through. I don't know if this is your first time in church in a long, long time. But will you allow this pastor with a bunch of agape love, unconditional love for you, confront you and say, if you're not walking with Jesus, you're not here by chance or coincidence. That there's a God in heaven who loves you and he proved it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world he gave. And it's not by a measure of our own works that we get to even get to heaven or even have a good life. It's by the grace and mercy of Jesus. And then not only did he die on that cross, not only did he pay the price and the, for the remission of our sins, but man, it wasn't just what he took away, but it's what he gave. He gave healing, the atonement for our sicknesses and Ill, illnesses. He gave us the opportunity to walk and know what love and hope and joy and peace is all about. To know that though the world might be chaotic around us, we serve a God who made a way. Ready for this one? Just for you. Whosoever. We serve that kind of God. But I don't know what your story is this morning. I don't know two types of people in this room. One, you don't know Jesus and you're ready to give your heart to him. The second is you've been walking with him, but have been walking not in love for your brothers and sisters. You've been gossiping and slandering. You've been holding unforgiveness in your heart. And may I just lightly suggest to you, this pastor, I trust the voice of the Lord that talks to me in my prayer closet. There is a cleaning that needs to come place to Parkway that we will learn what it means to walk in forgiveness and love and grace for each other. That you would find yourself sometime this week, maybe sometime today, Lord, I want to remember the joy of my salvation. I don't want to be that bitter or, or twisted believer that forgets that just as you forgive me, I, want, I need to forgive others. There's two types of people in this room. You don't know Jesus and today's your day. He's just a prayer away. 
belief and faith and confession in your heart. He just, he's just a moment away from you. And he doesn't just want to be Savior of your life. He wants to be Lord. And he wants you to learn the ways of him so that you can walk in truth and freedom in life. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed all across this room just before we close. You say, Pastor, it's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus today. Today is the day. If that's you, would you slip up your hand so I could see it all across this room? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I want to give you opportunity. Would there be one? I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to give my, I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. If this was just for you this morning, it was worth it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, Christians, praying, ma'am? Would you, would you look at me? I just felt like I was supposed to stop this service and say today is your day. The things, that, the things that you've been praying for and believing for have led you to this moment and you're not going to be condemned by what you're going through. Or con- today is a day where life begins to shift for you. And I'm not even talking about just positive way, like you're going to, everything's going to magically turn out better. But I'm telling you on the inside of you, the Spirit of God is being released And the Bible says that he's going to work together all things for good for those who love and trust and are called according to his purpose. And so today's a new day. Today's a new day. Today's a new day. Anybody else? There's two. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, I need to get my heart right with Jesus. Just before we pray this prayer. Yes. There's one more right here. Three. Yes. Church, would you, um, God bless you. Not by chance or coincidence you're here today, sir. The drawing was, was for this moment, for this place, for this right now. Would you, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, would you pre- repeat this prayer after me? And I just, I want you to know it's not this prayer that saves you. I, you know, church, we get in this vernacular of pray this sinner prayer and all, all. No, it is a belief and conviction and confession of our life where we say, God, not my way, but your way. I've seen people give their heart to Jesus and just say yes. Yes, Lord, it's, it's everything that I am for everything you are. And I've seen other people in a moment with tears uh, screaming down their face, not even being able to utter words, but saying, Lord, I'm all yours. So this prayer doesn't save you. It's not some magical set of words, but it's, it's the belief in my heart and the confession of my mouth that says, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. So would you repeat this prayer after me? And, and church family, would you, would you help these three? Say, dear Heavenly Father, everything that I am, pause and think about that. Everything that I am, every good, every bad, every dream, every sin, every regret, come on, would you repeat after me everything that I am for everything that you would have for me. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that what you did on that cross and through that tomb it's finished for me I repent I choose to walk away from everything that is not of you and in return I'll need everything that you have for me Jesus you're not just my savior I declare you as my Lord. You're the way, you're the truth, and you're my life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Parkway, would you join heaven by giving the biggest round of applause? And if one gets saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You three, we, we have what we call a yes team. The yes team is just like, you just said yes to Jesus. And all, we're really fancy around here, right? It's not the no team, it's the yes team. And uh, they're gonna be positioned up front. Uh, I know Jim's right here, John's right there. Um, we have a, a Bible, some things that we would like to, like to give in hand to you, just to say, hey, we're, just, we're here along your journey. And we might just be a step or two in front of you, might wanna offer some words of encouragement, some words of advice. Uh, if you came with a friend, would you find some members of our yes team? We want to be able to walk with you. Secondly, here's what I feel. There's a choice that needs to be made on what kind of church and body we're going to be. Are we going to be a body that is grace and truth filled? Are we going to be a body that constantly goes back to the desires of our flesh and murmuring and complaining and jacking our jaws? Or are we going to learn what it means to walk in forgiveness? If you're with me this morning and you want to walk in forgiveness and grace and truth, would you slip up your right hand as I pray as I pray us out here today? Heavenly Father, you see the unity of this body. Father, we give everything that we are for everything that you have for us. Father, I've prayed a lot privately. You've showed me a lot. I see the reach that you want this congregation to have. Father, it's going to first start in this valley. Revival for this valley through this church in Jesus' name. It's going to start with campuses. It's going to start with, with campuses, not just in America, but overseas. It's going to extend even above what we can even ask or think. Interns and young adults that are going to be raised and sent out in ministry. But Father, the foundation of what you have for us in vision has to start with a church that loves you and that loves each other and that goes all in together. So Heavenly Father, let it start in me, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. This pastor loves each and every one of you. Hey.